Uh, would you take your Bibles, your electronic devices, whatever, and join me over in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We are continuing this morning with a, a short series that we've entitled Miraculous. Uh, the Close Encounters with Jesus. In just a, a few weeks, we'll finish this series up, and then we'll be going into Matthew chapter 5, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to be reading ahead, that's where you can be looking. That's where we're headed in the coming weeks. Uh, would you follow along with me from Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. I've entitled the message this morning, Completely Healed. Completely. Do you always finish what you start? Uh, if someone were to come to your home today, would they find a bunch of unfinished projects, the things that you started but you never got around to completing? I can see some of you smiling there. Uh, I see some uh, wives smiling and husbands frowning, uh, quite honestly. But are there, you know, do you finish that which you start. Down in St. George, Bermuda, there's a church that is there that the construction on the church began in 1870, and it was supposed to replace St. Peter's Church after St. Peter's had been damaged by a, a storm. However, the crew got in arguments over whether they should build this new church or whether they should repair the old one. And eventually the voices for repairing the old one won out over the voices to complete the church. So there it sits. I guess it's occasionally used by wedding parties who want something unique for their wedding that they will meet there and hold their wedding there. It was started, but it wasn't finished. Over in Marble Hill, Indiana, there's a nuclear power plant that's construction began in 1977, and it was expected to be completed in seven years after it was started. Around 1984, the investors behind the power plant decided to abandon it uh, due to the costs were a lot more than expected. So after they had sunk around, get this, $2 billion into the power plant, they stopped 
and there it sits, waiting to be demolished. You know, I am so thankful that we have a God who finishes what he starts. I mean, as we saw on the screen earlier this morning, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us, I am sure of this, the Apostle Paul writes, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God always finishes that which he begins. And we see that this morning in the story that's before us. So let's look at the story itself and just some, some things related to the story. We're looking at another of the miracles of Jesus where he heals a blind man. Throughout the gospel accounts, there are stories of six blind men that Jesus healed. In Matthew chapter 9, in verses 27 to 31, we have the story of a blind man, actually two blind men, that Jesus touched their eyes and they were healed. In John chapter 9, we have the story of a blind man that Jesus spit in the dirt, made some mud, put it up on his eyes, and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which he did, and his sight was restored. In Matthew chapter 20, in verses 30 to 34, we have another incident where Jesus healed two blind men by touching their eyes. The story that we have before us in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus heals the blind man is unique in that it is the only miracle recorded of Jesus's that was done in two stages. Every other miracle appears to have been done instantaneously. It appears to be done right then. But in this particular miracle, there are two stages to the healing. And we'll dig into that a little bit more. You know, in the days of Jesus, uh, blindness was a common occurrence. It was a scourge in the East. Part of it was due to the to the glaring sun, that they would spend a lot of time out in that sun. And it was aggravated by a lack of hygiene on part of the, the people. Uh, William Barclay graphically describes the situation when he writes, it was common to see a person with matter-encrusted eyes on which the flies persistently settled. Naturally, this carried... Uh, the infection far and uh, wide. Now, medicine was not very advanced in the days of Jesus. And so there were not a lot of cures that worked for blindness. Matter of fact, one of the popular treatments in Jesus' day was to take rooster blood, mix it with honey, and smear it on the eyes, and they thought that might help uh, with the blindness. Uh, I'll reserve what I just thought. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> you 
There's something else unique about this miracle in that it's one of two miracles that Mark is the only one who records this miracle, these two miracles. So this miracle is unique to the Gospel of Mark, which just reminds us what uh, the Apostle John wrote in his book at the end of it. There's many other things that Jesus did. And John says that he, he considered if all of them were written down, that all the books in the world could not contain them. So though we have in the scriptures the record of six blind men being healed, there were probably many other blind individuals whose sight was restored by Jesus. So if we look at the story itself, let's just look at the details of the story. In verse 22, it tells us some people brought this blind man to Jesus. No, in other occasions, Jesus was just passing by. But in this occasion, there are people who come, get the blind man, and bring him to Jesus. You know, what a testimony for them. And what a lesson for all of us that we are to bring people to Jesus. So these individuals who, who must have loved this man, Maybe they were friends with this man. Maybe they were family members. We don't know. But there are individuals who bring him to Jesus. And in verse 22, it says that they begged him to touch him. They just didn't ask him. They begged him to do a miracle for this blind man. Now, we'll get into that. We'll return to that idea of begging him and why they may have begged him to do this miracle. Jesus takes the man out of the village. He is not going to do the miracle in Bethsaida. He is going to take the man outside the village. And you'll notice at the end of the passage... He tells the blind man not to go back into the village, but to go home. So as the healing begins, we're told that Jesus led him out of the village. He spit on his eyes. Now, that for some of you will gross you out at this point in time. Recently, I saw a, a YouTube video where a pastor decided that he was going to reenact this miracle, and he brought one of his deacons up on the, the stage, and he spit into the guy's eyes. Uh, do I have any volunteers this morning? <laughs> if you volunteered, I'd tell you to stay down. I'm not going to do it. This guy made uh, YouTube, you know, all over the place for what he was doing, and created all kinds of criticism and stuff. I'm just telling you what the story says and what Jesus did. Jesus spit into the guy's eyes. And he asks him, do you see anything? And the man replies, I see people. But they look like trees walking. 
Now, this seems to indicate that this man was not blind from birth because he knows what a tree looks like. So he has probably lost his eyesight sometime during his life. Then Jesus, verse 25 tells us, laid his hands on his eyes again, a second time. Once again, the only miracle we have recorded that Jesus did in two stages. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. That's the story. Now to understand this story, I think we need to look at the setting and what occurs before the story and what occurs after the story. The beginning of chapter 8 We see Jesus doing one of his feeding miracles where he feeds 4,000. You know, we've talked about in the past the feeding of the 5,000. And here it was another miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. And keep in mind, in those days, they only counted the men who would be there. So the feeding of the 5,000 was probably the feeding of 20 to 25,000 people. The feeding of the 4,000 was probably 16 to 20,000 people who were fed. Where Jesus just takes a very small amount and prays over it and works a miracle that is amazing. So after the feeding of the 4,000, the disciples get into a, a boat and... Jesus is teaching them, and, well, before they get into the boat, the Pharisees come to Jesus demanding a sign. In verse 12, we see Jesus saying, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Jesus is saying, why do you keep seeking after signs? No more signs are going to be given to you. Enough signs have been done for people, if they would open their hearts and open their eyes, for them to see and believe. Now, at this point, we're told in verse 14 that the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Jesus, teaching them, says to them, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? What is the leaven of Herod? Uh, For just so that we understand, when we're talking about leaven, we're talking about something like yeast. You know, you have to put the yeast in the bread for it to, uh, you know, for it to, what, what do you call that? Puff up, rise. That's the word I'm looking for. For it to puff up. (laughs) For it to, to, to rise. And in those days, what they would do, they would just take part of a loaf of bread before it was baked and take that and put it in to the, the new flour and things to, for the next, so that there would be yeast in the next loaf of bread. So it would rise up. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees 
and the yeast of Herod. Well, what was the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees? It was their trust in religious power, their trust in religious authority. The leaven of the the Pharisees was their bad theology. In the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9, the disciples had bought into some of this bad theology when they asked Jesus, who sinned that this man is blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And we have those individuals even to this day who are going to assign any physical illness, any struggle with disease to a personal sin that you or someone has committed. Now don't get me wrong. Disease, death, all of that is a result of sin. But most of the time, it is not a result of a personal sin that you have committed. So please, if you're healthy, don't look on those that are struggling and suggest to them they need to find out what sin they've committed so that they can be healed by the Lord. I've had more than one occasion when I visited someone in the hospital and found them in tears Because some good-meaning saint had been in to see them before me and had said, if you would just pray and confess your sin to the Lord, he'll heal you and you won't have to have your surgery tomorrow. That is bad theology. And this was part of the theology of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees included their legalism. A focus on works. A focus on what you do. And they put burdens on to the people. Burdens that they themselves could not bear. And part of the leaven of the Pharisees was hypocrisy. Pretending one thing while it was totally different for them, themselves. And I see that same thing present in our world today. I see that same bad theology being presented. I see that same hypocrisy in the part of religious leaders. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. But also be aware of the leaven or the yeast of Herod. Well, what's the yeast of Herod? Political power and authority. Trusting in that. And feeling that if you had political power, you could get away with anything that you wanted to. Materialism. The more that we can get for ourselves. Sexual license. That there are no boundaries upon the way in which we can live. And a focus on the world and the things of this world rather than a focus on God. Sounds like we might have a little bit of the leaven of Herod going on in our own country today. And I assure you we have the leaven of the Pharisees going on 
in our country. Beware of this. Now, the disciples missed the whole point of Jesus. In verse 16, it says, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had brought no bread. Is Jesus talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod because we forgot to bring enough bread to feed everybody here? I wonder if Jesus ever became weary with the disciples. But I suggest to you he did not. Just as he doesn't become weary with you and me. He knows our frame. He knows we are but dust. He can relate to us. And Jesus, aware, said to them in verse 17, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And catch this next one. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? I broke the five loaves for 5,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he says to them, do you not yet understand? Have you missed the point of it all? I mean, if you think of it in the magnitude, they have one loaf of bread for the 13 of them. And they're concerned after they had such little for the feeding of the multitudes. Don't you understand. Now, I want to jump over that and go to what happens after the miracle. In verse 27, it says, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea and Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. But he asked them, but who do you say I am? And may I suggest to you this morning, that's the most important question as an individual that you need to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Doesn't matter what your family says. Doesn't matter what your church says. The question is, who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. You're the Christ. Let's look at the, the meaning of this particular miracle. I propose to you that as I look at the miracles, that miracles are more than just a supernatural act. That miracles are also parables. That they are designed 
to teach us something, to teach a truth to us. And that there's always a reason and there's an intent behind the supernatural works that Jesus does. And the ones that are recorded for us in the scripture are designed to teach us something. And if we don't look for that, we will miss it. So, let's consider the miracle. Jesus spit on the blind man's eye and he asks him, do you see anything? He responds, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So let me pose a question to you. At this stage, is the blind man healed? Well, be careful. Be careful to just respond no. Is he able to see something? If you were totally blind and could see nothing at all, and then you were able to see something, even though it's not totally clear, wouldn't you prefer to see people as trees as opposed to seeing total darkness? So I ask you the question, is he healed? Some may say, well, yes, sort of. We're going to hedge our answer, right? On the other hand, if you could not see, is that the way you would want to be healed? To where you couldn't see clearly? But you could see, you know, just people as trees. You would say, no, no, my desire is what? I would want to see clearly. So Jesus has him in this situation. Now what can we learn from that? Well, let's, let's go back to the disciples. Were the disciples seeing some things before the miracle was done? They've been with Jesus. We're approaching the end of the ministry of Jesus. Do they have some belief in Jesus? Are they seeing something with their eyes? Have they had some amount of trust with Jesus? The answer would be yes. But on the other hand, are they seeing clearly? Because if they were seeing clearly, then would they be worried about the fact they just have one loaf of bread for the 13 of them? I mean, after you've seen the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, you're going to be concerned there's only one loaf of bread to split up among the 13. They're clearly not seeing clearly. That's why Jesus asked them, do you have eyes to see? Why are you missing this? First of all, this morning, I ask you the question, are you seeing clearly? Am I seeing 
clearly. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what has God shown you? How has God spoken to you? And what are you waiting on to put your faith and trust in him? This is no mere man. This is God in the flesh, the one who can do these miracles. What are you waiting on? What are you wanting God to do? There comes a point that Jesus will say, even as he said to that generation, what do you keep seeking for a sign for? There's not going to be any more signs. You have the truth. Will you put your faith and trust in it? And what about for us as believers, those who are following Jesus, like the disciples? Are you seeing more clearly? He who begins a good work in us will complete it. There's a process known as sanctification to where we should be coming more and more like Christ in our lives. We should be understanding more and more. We should be able to trust more and more because of the work that God is doing in our life. And dear friend, he's not finished with you. He's not finished with you. When he's finished with you, he'll take you home. And until that day, we need to trust him more and more, seeing what he's done and knowing that he is worthy of our trust. Now, let's talk about what happened here, why Jesus didn't do the miracle in Bethsaida. Some people bring this man to Jesus, and they beg him, Jesus, you've got to do this miracle. Jesus, we want you to do this miracle. It implies to me that they ask more than once. Wouldn't it imply that to you, that they are begging for him to do something? Jesus clearly is not going to do a miracle here in Bethsaida. I think that's why they are asking him and begging him to do the miracle. Matthew chapter 11 gives us some insight into this. When Jesus said to Bethsaida, Woe to you! If the works there were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Jesus has already done enough works there for them to repent and to put their faith and trust in Christ. And he's come to the point, he says, no more. And he takes the man outside the city. You know, that's an encouragement to me. Jesus' investment in this one man, that he will take him outside the city. He's not going to do anything else in the city. But he's going to take him outside the city. And there he heals him. And he tells him, strictly charges them to tell no one 
about it. He sent him home and said, don't go back into the village. So what are we derived from the meaning here? First of all, if you don't know Jesus, it's time to come to Jesus. If you're here this morning, you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, don't leave here without putting your faith and trust in him. Come and see me after the service or see one of the, 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 someone who brought you here or you know one of the leaders of the church. You talk to him. How can I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Come to Jesus. Two, bring others to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Something we can all do. And then Give praise to God that what he begins, he finishes. He does not leave the guy who was blind being able to see but not see clearly. He completes that which he starts. And give praise to God if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior that he will finish what he's begun. And that as we were singing earlier, he will hold us fast. Amen, Amen to that? Yes. The confidence that we have that we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us that we might trust in you. Thank you for finishing what you begin in our lives. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, that they would put their faith and trust in him. I pray, Father, that your hand will be upon us. May we please you. Help us, Lord, that we will see clearly and follow completely. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.